Well, good morning. Good morning, church. Good to see you again today. Uh, hope you're well. Trust you're well. Pray you're well. Uh, you and your family. Um, I know that we're all anxious and uh, looking forward to the time when we can gather in person again. And so, um, so I do. I'm prayerful for our board and church leaders as they think and pray through these decisions. And I know that you are praying in a, a similar vein. So I uh, love you and appreciate you and, and all of your uh, consideration in that way. Uh, super excited about finishing our series in Acts today. We, we've made it. So if you'll uh, take your Bible, please, and meet me in Acts chapter 28. Today we do come to the end of our journey through this book. Uh, a, a journey, a study that began... Uh, about two and a half years ago, and counting today, 50 sermons, uh, we're 50 sermons in counting today. 50 is a good number to end, I think. Don't you agree? 50 is a strong number. Uh, it's a, a, a number that I think carries a certain dignity and definitiveness, and so, uh, so it seems fitting to end on the number 50 and make this kind of the official close of our series uh, in this book. But as we come to the end of Acts, I, I actually want to take us briefly, I want to take us back to its beginning. Way back in chapter 1, Jesus <clears throat> made a statement that set the tone for everything that followed. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 8, he gathered his closest followers, men who'd walked with him for the better part of three years, and he said to them, these words. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, have you ever had someone speak truth into your life like that? Truth that you may not have understood or even believed at the time, but nonetheless set the course for the, for the days and weeks and months and even years that followed. I remember when I first started uh, volunteering in junior high ministry in the church, working with students and families. I was 18 years old. I was just two years, uh, two years young in the Lord. I was, I was young, I was raw, but I was, I was growing in my faith and I was excited to, to serve. And after one particular event, uh, youth event, on one Friday evening, uh, an event I helped plan and, and, and I spoke that night about uh, really calling these students and young people, calling them to see God's redemptive plan in its fullness and really enter into what God is doing in their lives, and I remember after the close of that ev evening, I had a, a, a handful of parents who had attended that night and kind of were observing from the periphery. I had a handful of parents come up to me, and they kind of gathered around me, and and, and they said to me that that, that 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 is their opinion that someday I was to be a pastor and a preacher. That God, they said. God had a clear call upon my life. Now, I couldn't see it at the time. And to be honest with you, I'm not even sure I believed it at the time. But apparently they could and they did. And in the 30 years that, that have passed since that, that moment, 
um, God's call indeed has come to fruition in my life in ways they saw and believed. I think, I think these early followers in Acts chapter 1 probably felt something similar to what I felt when that group of parents spoke into my life. I think in that moment in Acts chapter 1, as, as Jesus spoke truth into the hearts of those men, He gave them purpose and a plan, and He promised the Holy Spirit would empower them to fulfill that purpose and plan, and they couldn't see it yet. They may not even have believed it yet, but Jesus could, and Jesus did, and the Spirit of God came in, in power in chapter 2, and, and about 30 years later, by the time we get here to chapter 28, all that Jesus said from the start had indeed come to pass. Now, of course, the Apostle Paul wasn't there in that initial encounter with Jesus. He met Jesus later in chapter 9 in his own unique way. But immediately Paul entered into the same purpose, into the same plan, which is to be witnesses to God's love and grace and mercy as revealed in the Lord Jesus. And that's where we find Paul here in chapter 28, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching people about Christ even while under house arrest in Rome. From beginning to end, the book of Acts is about God's people participating in the ministry of Jesus, participating with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the good news of salvation to a world of people who desperately need it. It's about people, this book. It's about people whose lives are transformed by divine love and who become part of a transformative community who witness to the truth of the gospel in word and deed. And church, though our names and our specific stories don't appear in the book of Acts, we are very much part of of this ongoing narrative. And so I'll read just two verses today. The final two verses of the book. Because I want us to see how the book ends and then, on, and then I want us to reflect on reasons why. Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. He... Paul, he lived there two whole years at his own expense. He lived in Rome under house arrest. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and, and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for our time in this book. For the many things that you have revealed to us, you've shown us, you've taught us. For the times you've 
encouraged us, the times you've brought necessary conviction to our hearts, the times where you've strengthened our faith, the times where you've motivated our church through your word as it's recorded here in the book of Acts. And we thank you that now as we come to the final two verses, to the very close of the book, we thank you, God, that there is still so much for us here, even in this small statement. And so I pray that you'd speak to us again today. Again, as we open our Bible, would you open us to its truth and impress it upon our lives? Would you speak to us and give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the goodness of the kingdom of God as revealed in the King Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray today. Amen. Amen. So my wife and I, we enjoy watching TV together in the evenings. Um, not every evening, but whenever we have the chance. And in our home, it, it goes something like this. After the work day, we check in with each other. We check in with the kids. We, we have dinner. We enjoy some time as a family. And then... Somewhere around eight or nine-ish, uh, the older kids kind of drift off into their rooms while we clean up a bit and, and get the, the younger kids settled into bed. And then somewhere around uh, nine or 9.30, maybe 10 o'clock, we'll, we'll kind of uh, meet on the sofa and we'll uh, watch a show or two, although two is pushing it. Those who know me know that I'm notorious for falling asleep during that second episode, and, uh, and we're open to any genre, pretty much, uh, although, although our favorite is probably crime drama, particularly British crime dramas. Uh, if there's anything put out by BBC, it's probably already in the queue. Uh, we just love to follow the story and the characters and the development of both. We love trying to get inside the case. Are you with me? We're trying to get inside the case and attempt to solve it as it unfolds. And inevitably, of course, there's a, a twist or two, something you didn't see coming that, that sends you in a whole new direction. And by the time we get to the season finale, usually after eight or ten episodes, you're really anxious to learn how all these loose ends are going to come together. But even then, unless it's a series finale, even then there's usually something left unresolved, uh, something that beckons another season, a teaser, uh, just to keep you coming back for more. Now, Sally and I, we've learned that, that we don't always view season finales in the same way. She likes closure. Uh, she wants to know not only what became of the story, but what became of the characters. She wants relationships uh, she wants relationships made right, or at least she wants them made clear. Uh, me, on the other hand, I'm, I'm probably more open to open-ended uh, finales, the kind that leaves some things unanswered and even a little bit messy, a little bit uh, untidy, if you will. And if you were here today, if we were in this room today, I'd, I'd ask for a show of hands uh, I'd, you know what, let's do that, actually, let's do that. So, so right where you are, if you are like my wife in that you prefer closure, you prefer 
uh, things wrapped up and loose ends come together, just right where you are, go ahead and raise your hand in that way. I see that. I see you. We're, we're, we're counting you. Okay, you can put your hands down. And, and next, it, I want you to raise your hands if you're more like me in that you don't mind loose ends or, or unanswered questions. Okay? So you can see that we are divided in this way. Now, of course, you may be part of a third group who just wonder, who cares? And uh, you're wondering even now why we're spending this time uh, talking about our TV preferences, and I get that too, but I ask because as we come to the final chapter in the book of Acts, we find very little closure. So much of this story remains open-ended. Here we have the Apostle Paul, whom, whom we met for the first time back in chapter 8 when he was persecuting Christians and trying like mad to stop the spread of the rapidly growing church. In chapter 9, Paul met Jesus, who transformed his life. The same person who persecuted Christians and opposed the church became a Christian and a member of the church and one of its greatest proponents. By chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas were serving in the church at Antioch when the Holy Spirit called and sent them out from Antioch on their first missionary journey. By chapter 15, upon their return, they went in different directions, at which time Paul teamed with Silas to launch out on his second missionary expedition. By chapter 18, Paul embarked on his third trip. Chapter 21 finds him returning to Jerusalem where it all began for him back in chapter 8. And by this time, it had become clear that many of the Jewish, religi uh, the Jewish religious leaders, they didn't like him. They didn't like that he turned from their way to go the way of Jesus. They opposed him. They fought him. They were a constant presence against him. And when they saw him in the temple that day, they saw an opportunity and they pounced and they accused him of blaspheming the temple. So Paul was arrested, unjustly arrested, and, and he remained in that state of unjust imprisonment for the rest of Acts. And so for many long chapters now that span many years of Paul's life, we've been following his steps. And ever since chapter 23, when, when the Lord met Paul, remember when the Lord met Paul in that jail cell, just to assure him, just to comfort him, and then to remind him that he, he had a he had a purpose for Paul. He had a plan for Paul that Paul was supposed to go to Rome and testify there. And so ever since that encounter, we've been waiting for Paul to arrive in Rome in the heart of the Roman Empire. And yet finally he gets here, here in chapter 28. And within, within the span of, of 15 relatively short verses... The, the Acts narrative just ends. It just ends in, in somewhat abrupt fashion. 
All these chapters, we've been waiting for Paul to get to Rome. And he gets there, and it ends. What became of Paul? What became of Luke and Aristarchus who were with him? What became of the ministry in Rome? What became of the church in Rome? What became of the other churches we've, we've come to know along the way, including those that Paul founded? What became of the other people in Acts besides Paul, including the other apostles? What became of Paul's appeal before Caesar? Was he ever exonerated? Was he released? Was he set free? All we're told in, in the final two verses is that he lived under, under house arrest for another two years at his own expense. And he welcomed those who came to him and he proclaimed God's kingdom to them and he taught them about Jesus and he did so with boldness and the gospel went out without hindrance. But we're not even told of any fruit that came from his preaching and teaching ministry in Rome. So many storylines in Acts remain open-ended. So many unanswered questions. Now we do know from sources other than Acts that he wrote the prison letters during these two years. The prison epistles as they're called which are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Three of these were written to encourage and instruct specific churches that Paul had planted. And the fourth, Philemon, was written to a specific individual. And we also know from other sources outside of Acts that it seems, it seems Paul was released. And for a year or two, he revisited some of these familiar people and some of these familiar places and even ventured into new territories, including Spain. We know he was arrested a second time. Historical record tells us this, and he was in, again imprisoned, but this time it was a much harsher imprisonment, a much more severe captivity, and, but it was during that second stint in Roman chains when Paul wrote what, what are called the pastoral epistles, the, uh, the letters to, of 1st and 2nd Timothy and then the letter to Titus. Nero was uh, the emperor. Nero, already a loose cannon, had by this time gone completely off the rails, particularly toward Christians. He, he blamed the great fire that destroyed much of Rome in, in A.D. 64. He, he blamed that on Christians, and he began persecuting Christians in terrible, horrific ways, feeding them to, to lions, burning them at the stake, uh, sending them into gladiator competitions without a chance of survival. And, and it was during this time, somewhere during this time, it's believed that Paul was executed by, uh, by beheading at the order of the emperor. Knowing the end was near, Paul wrote what became his last letter in the canon of Scripture, the, the second letter to Timothy, 
Timothy, of course, was a, was a pastor, a, a younger pastor Paul had mentored over the years. And to Timothy, he said in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, I, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. And then he closes with these well-known words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me, but also to all who love and long for His appearing. And so we have, if, if, we, if we take these pieces that we can gather from sources outside of Acts and we put them into, in, into the puzzle, we, we do have a pretty good idea of what became of Paul eventually. Still, the story of his two-year stint under house arrest in Rome as recorded here in Acts, in so abruptly, and we have to ask why. And I think it's, I think it's this. I think it's because it's not about Paul. It's not about Paul's ministry, mainly. It's about the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ that continued on and still continues today. Why does Acts end with so many open ends? Because I believe it's not an ending at all, only a new beginning. Church, if we were to trace the timeline from Acts to the present day, it, it may look something like this. I think you'll be encouraged by this. In Jerusalem in A.D. 30, Jesus died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, appeared to hundreds over the next 40 days, assuring, uh, equipping, preparing them before ascending into heaven. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles in power to, to the amazement of all in that city. Empowered by the Spirit, the Apostle Peter gave his first sermon and 3,000 lives were transformed by God. Repenting and believing in Jesus, the young church walked in unity toward a common cause. Peter and John continued to spread the gospel through the preaching of, uh, through the, preaching of, of the gospel and through miracles. And before long, the church multiplied as another 5,000 people came to saving faith in Christ. In AD 31, Stephen gave a powerful sermon and the enraged crowd stoned him, making him the first Christian martyr. Around AD 34, while on the road to Damascus the, uh, to persecute Christians, the Lord transformed the heart of Saul, who became Paul. Around AD 40, Peter had a vision that revealed God's plan to reach non-Jewish people. Shortly thereafter, the first Gentiles received Christ and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just like the Jewish followers did earlier. 
In A.D. 44, King Herod Agrippa I executed the Apostle James and had Peter arrested. But an angel came to rescue Peter and miraculously led him out of prison. As believers scattered because of the growing persecution, the center of operations for Christianity turned from Jerusalem to Antioch, where ethnic diversity and racial unity became a hallmark of the church. In Antioch, Paul and Barnabas were sent on their first missionary journey around A.D. 48. Sometime around A.D. 50 or 51, we have Paul's second missionary journey and his third in A.D. 54. Around A.D. 58, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, then transferred to Caesarea to stand trial before Roman authorities. Around A.D. 60, he was transferred again, this time from Caesarea to Rome. On the way, of course, he was shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Eventually, Paul arrived in Rome, where he lived under house arrest for two years, and so concludes the book of Acts uh, sometime around A.D. 62. But the story doesn't stop there. By A.D. 80, Christianity had spread to the countries of France and Tunisia. Twenty years later, the first Christians were reported in Algeria and Sri Lanka. By A.D. 50, the gospel reached Portugal and, and Morocco. Christianity found its way to Austria in A.D. 174, followed by Switzerland and Belgium. In A.D. 328, the gospel reached Ethiopia. And nearly 300 years later, in uh, A.D. 595, Pope Gregory I sent Augustine of Canterbury uh, and a team of missionaries to present-day England, and in the first year, they baptized 10,000 people. In A.D. 635, the first Christian missionaries arrived in China. In A.D. 740, Irish monks brought the gospel to Ireland. By A.D. 900, missionaries reached the country of Norway. By 1200, the Bible was available in 22 different languages. The church continued to expand. In 1491, missionaries arrived in the African Congo with the first church located in Angola. A few years later, Kenya reported its first known Christians. Meanwhile, in Spain, Pope Alexander VI wanted to send Catholic missions to the New World. As a result, Christopher Columbus took priests with him on his second journey to the Americas. In 1531, Franciscan Juan de Padilla started his mission work in Mexico City. By 1550, John Calvin sent French Protestants to, to reach the people of Brazil. In 1640, Jesuit uh, missionaries finally reached the Caribbean, landing on the island of Martinique. In the early 1700s, we saw the rise of the Great Awakening in America where both George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards stirred revival across the colonies. By the late 1700s, the gospel was spreading across the American frontier as circuit riders like John Wesley carried it to more rural territories. The 1800s, of course, brought the Second Great Awakening as revivals were held in small towns and large cities across the country, propelling the gospel across the plains and to the west. But it doesn't end there. 
1962, in 1962, Pastor Bob Hughes and his wife Arlene, sensing a call from God, came from Oklahoma to California in 1963. Bob began pastoring Arcade Wesleyan Church in Sacramento. In the late 1970s, Pastor Billy Steen and his wife Tricia came from a Wesleyan church in Chester, California, and together they teamed with Bob and Arlene, with Billy serving as, as the youth pastor under Bob's leadership. In 1982, having been sent and commissioned by Arcade Wesleyan, Billy and Tricia stepped out in faith to plant a church in the developing Roseville Rockland community. It was called Sierra Hills Church. In 2004, the Sierra Hills congregation moved from Roseville to Granite Bay to its newly purchased property on East Roseville Parkway and thus became East Parkway Church. In 2009, after serving with Billy for nine years, I became pastor of East Parkway. Many of you were here at that time. Some of you were part of the Sierra Hills era. Some were part of the, the initial church plant some 40 years ago. And even some of you, some of you go all the way back to Arcade Wesleyan, having shared in the ministry of Bob and Arlene. East Parkway, I just want you to know that as we sit here today in 2020, I want you to understand that you are part of a much larger picture. You are part of a long legacy that not only stretches back to Arcade Wesleyan Church, but in fact stretches all the way back to the book of Acts. And that's just a quick snapshot, just a simple thumbnail of the expansion of the church and its ministry of the gospel over the last couple thousand years. So much more could be said during so many different eras in so many different parts of the world. But make no mistake, the, the story of Acts continues on. We are the next chapter. And so as we conclude our series in this book this morning, in this amazing book, I just want to remind you, East Parkway, I want to remind us all that the church is a movement, not a monument. You know, a monument is something that, co that commemorates the past. But the church era hasn't passed. We are, we are living in it and part of it. The baton has been passed to us to carry the, the ministry and the message forward. We are part of a, of a larger movement that is reaching the ends of the earth, just as Jesus said from the start in Acts chapter 1. Yes, <clears throat> yes, we are also... We are also a community of care and compassion for one another. Uh, the church is a, a family in this way. And we must never forget that. To grow in faith with one another, to care for one another, to pray for one another, to come alongside with compassion and encouragement for one another. We are a family in this way, but... As a church family, we must never exist for ourselves only. 
From its very inception, the church was intended to move outside of itself to serve unbelieving, unchurched people in the name of Jesus Christ. Go, Jesus said. You know it. Go and make disciples of all nations. You know, isn't it interesting that in the mind of Jesus, in the, in the, in the mind of God, it was never, the, the church is never intended to be a, we're here if they want to come to us endeavor. Instead, it's a no, no, no. You go to them. You go. And I think even today, We've had a very, a very positive and kind of an unexpected positive from this whole church at home experience because we're, we're learning that church is so much more than its building. And, and what does it look like when we can't meet together in the same four walls? It means that we have to go. And now we're reaching an online community of people who, who never entered the doors of the church. Some who are tuning in even this morning. You will be my witnesses, Jesus said. You will. And I think we just need to allow the truth of that statement. You will be my witnesses. We need to allow the truth of that statement to wash over us and rest upon our hearts once again. Even if you can't see it now, even if you don't understand it now, even if you may not even believe it now, allow Jesus to speak this truth into your life again through this word and through the story of the book of Acts. Each one of you, each one of us, is a minister of the gospel on some level in some way. Wherever you are, and whenever you're there, you're on mission for Jesus. So pray, speak, serve, give, participate in what God is doing in and through you to draw you nearer to Christ and to call others to Him too. That's my encouragement. That's my exhortation. That's my appeal and call to those of us who, who make up this church called East Parkway. That we would see ourselves in this long lineage and do our part with all joy and gladness. But I also want to speak to those who don't know Jesus in this way, in a personal way, because today he speaks into your life too. And I'm just calling you, and I want you to know this up front. I want you to know this without any, without any uh, uh, ambiguity. I want you to know that I am calling you to repentance and faith. I'm calling you. Uh, with, I'm not coming in from the side door or the back door. I'm not trying to trick you or... or 
hoodwink you in any way. I'm just stating from the very from the from the very start in a very clear manner. I'm just letting you know that I'm calling you to repentance and faith today. Of course, I've been calling you along the way, but I am calling you to repentance and faith that you may be saved. I just want you to know, I want you to know that my prayer for you, my hope for you, my desire for you is, is that you will, you will be uh, saved from your sins that lead to certain death and, and saved to God and, and into God's family and thus to life everlasting. I'm asking you to see in Jesus, the one who came to us, lived among us, died for us, rose from the dead in total triumph, ascended to heaven and reigns forevermore. He is the gospel. He is the gospel. He is the good news you need. So turn back to God in repentance. Call upon him for mercy. His mercies are new every morning. And there is mercy for you to be had today. Entrust your life into the strong and loving hands of the author of life and you will be saved. Listen. Your story in Christ begins here and now. Now, though our specific names, though our specific names don't appear in Acts, we are part of this narrative, this redemptive story that God is writing upon our hearts. From beginning to end, it's about God's people participating with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit to carry the gospel to a world in desperate need. Because the good news of Christ is good news indeed. Amen? Amen. God help us. Father, we want to thank you for our time. We trust that you've spoken to us today. We ask again that you would help us to receive whatever you have for us and and stir our hearts and propel us out that the next generation and generations after that would look back in some way in ways that maybe they don't even understand in ways that we can't see or understand now that in some way we were this link in the chain that moved the gospel from those who came before us to those who will come after us. Make us faithful. Make us hopeful. Make us joyful that the truth of Christ and his call would stir and encourage us again. We ask this for his name's sake and his glory. Amen. Amen. And amen. Let's sing.